Welcome to Nobody Told Me That, your source for candid business talk and stories. Your host is speaker and author Teresa Duncan. Sit back, buckle up, and hang on. back for another episode. I have with me a frequent flyer. This is Dana Johnson, who is the owner of Navoni. Hey, Dana, what's going on? Hey, Teresa. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Of course. I call her a frequent flyer because we had another episode um, and I'll link in the show notes directly to that episode where we talked about her skills with office systems and Dentrix. And, you know, I love the big software programs because we have so much to do with those. I mean, we spend so much time, of, so much of our day, right, is spent in Dentrix and EagleSoft. Like we spend more time with them than we do with our family sometimes. So oh, it's I know. I know. <laughs> so it's good day, to know the whole, the whole day. Yeah. So it's good to know the ins and outs of it. And uh, when it comes to Dentrix, I have a handful of go tos. But you know, Dana is always the closest to me just because we're such good friends. So I I was really thrilled when she said, Yeah, let's do another episode. And uh, you're always welcome, Dana, I just want you to know that you're always welcome on the show. So um, of course, so we just got to see each other in um, Vegas for the business of dentistry. And that's a big meeting that's put on by, um, of course, Henry Shine One, and more specifically, Dentrix the software. And you were hopping like I, I gave two classes, but you were like working like crazy. How many classes did you give? I gave five. Um, Jeez. Yeah, I had four roundtables and then I had a course on Friday and then I was honored to be picked as one of the closing speakers. So that was that was really exciting as well. So, yeah, it was it was busy, but I love it. You know, that's my those are my peeps. And it was really fun to connect with everybody. Now, when you say closing speaker, like it's scarier than it sounds, right? Like you probably did fine. I'm sure you did fine. I had to fly home, but I'm sure you did fine. Um, But you're on the big stage in front of everyone and the spotlight's on you and and it's just all serious and they make you go through rehearsals and all that kind of stuff. And by the time you were, were were you like, okay, I'm so done. Like by the time you were done, were you like, thank God it's over? Yes. I think it was harder for me to give a seven minute closing speech than it is to do a three hour topic presentation. Um, Yeah. Just more nerve wracking. I felt like I had to practice more and you know, you're in front of 1500 people and it's just, there's no room for error, you know? Um, right. and, but it was, it was a relief when it was over, but it was so fun as well. Well, and I remember, I mean, you and I have been going to the ADOM conference for years and those keynote speakers, you know, they have it down yeah. to a science, they're polished. It's an hour, sometimes even less than that. And you and I live in the three hour time frame. Uh-huh. Like that's just good for us. And yeah, it was really weird. It's really weird to condense it, you know, even down to an hour, but even down to seven minutes, like that's, that's in, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't know if it was, well, you, it sounds like you practiced it really well. I practiced it. And then of course I get off the stage and I'm like, I totally forgot to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So. I know it. Yeah. Cause, cause I remember you gave yours a couple years ago and, and it is, um, yeah, you're, it's just in a different element, you know, mm-hmm. it's more of a speech than a conversation yes. and, you know, and it's, it's a little, just a little bit different dynamics with it. 
Well, and I have a lot of respect for for people who are very comfortable with that. I I remember getting off the stage and telling Norman, I think I'm never going to keynote like ever because that was that was not my thing. I, I just did not feel right. So so props to you yeah. for that. And you're going to get some really cool looking video from that too. Like they'll give you some cool video. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I'm waiting waiting to get that as well. Yeah. So during BDC. I sat in on one of your courses that you gave um, some industry industry updates, which I thought was fascinating because it talk, ties in with a lot of what I teach. Um, so I'm always, always wanting to sit in on your courses and hear about the new trends. And, and it was so informative. Well, and it, that was one of the things that you and I were talking about is the fact that not just like the macro trends, like the industry trends, but also how societal trends are impacting the day to day. And you're down right now getting some training with Dentrix, right? The train, the trainer. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm down here in Savannah, Georgia for the annual train the trainer conference where we get to see like the roadmap for the next, uh, maybe next 12 months of what kind of updates and solutions are coming down the pike for our users, our offices. And, but there has just been, this year has been fantastic for updates. And, you know, one of my most favorite things to talk about is um, implementing electronic forms and specifically about like the health history that in the, in the practice. And so many new updates happened with that this year that I was so excited about. Yeah. And that ties in with the, the whole, you know, the cultural trends impacting because the health history form, it has to be, I mean, you have to be able to edit it. I mean, who knew three years ago, vaping would be a huge factor in your health history. So what, what are you seeing that people are adding to it that, you know, you can't really skip on because of the, the liability issues. What do you what are you having people add to yours? Yeah, well, I think it's important that we understand what you know, we have to remember that we don't just work for a dentist. We work for an oral health physician and we have to think like a physician and think about all the things that our patients are doing, taking that are impacting the oral cavity. And also how do the, all those things affect the whole body? Because the things that are happening in the body are affecting the oral health. And, you know, so I'm always making sure that offices are asking about medications and, and asking more questions about medications. Because a lot of times what I see is patients will put down a medication that they're taking, but yet they won't tell you what the diagnosis is. Like, why are you taking that medication? You know? So I'm always, I always want my practices to just dig a little deeper because you know, where we're heading is we're heading into a medical billing system eventually. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be better at um, digging deeper into our patient's health history and now, you know this is a shift though dana because when when we because in the past we would just say what's the medication and i think yeah. in in our industry we don't we tend to not want to ask too many personal questions which we need to stop that really but do you get that from the pushback from your because you train a ton of teams do you get pushback like yeah. that's not of our business or we shouldn't ask that yes we we shouldn't ask that well how does that affect us um, why do we need to know that? And 
you know, when we think about uh, all the new things that are happening, you know, how does recreational marijuana affect how you treat your patients? Um, how does cert- how do certain medications that a patient is taking affect how you treat them? Um, you know, so we're seeing so many new things come up where we could be building medical. And if we just dug into their health history a little bit more, we might be able to actually increase our production in our practice and treat our patients better. I think it's important that offices are asking more questions. So when they do check a medical condition and they don't list a medication, then we have to ask, are you taking any kind of medication for that condition? Or if they list a medication, but they don't check a condition, then it's important that we keep, we keep asking more questions. And I think that's where we have to get that mindset is asking more questions because the better we can care for our patients in a holistic way, the better outcomes that we're going to be able to give to our, our patients for the long, long term. And also, I would guess it makes the patient feel um, a little bit more, I think, cared for because the office down the street, the one that is scared to ask those questions, isn't going to explain the links between the different conditions and how it can impact, uh, you know, having the gum mm-hmm. disease impacting, you know, the prostate cancer or the heart disease and all of that other stuff. So if I were a patient and the first time I heard that there's a link between gum disease and diabetes, I would be blown away, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the link between, you know, there's a lot of medications and certain medical conditions that cause dry mouth. And a lot of patients don't put two and two together that dry mouth increases the risk of caries. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you have dry mouth, then your, your restorations could fail or your, your patient could have recurrent, recurrent decay issues. And so, I think it's important. It's, it just shows our patients that we care enough about you to keep asking questions. I, you know, I think offices, they, they don't want to put their patients out. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, hold you up too long asking you more questions, you know, and we have to stop doing that. We have to slow down, realize that we're doing the best care for our patients. And if it takes us an extra you know, five minutes to do a comprehensive medical history, then, then it's worth it. And, and our patients shouldn't feel that they're being put out, you know, so I think we have to get out that time, that, that stigma of that. I think if you're, if you're arguing about five minutes of production, it feels to me like the hamster wheel is real. If, Mm -hmm. if that's what you're thinking about, and I don't mean to minimize people's concerns, you have to make a profit, but that five minutes is such relationship building material. And I mean, with your, with your health histories, you're pretty much giving them like a whole roadmap on, on how to do that. So let's talk about the, the forms that you're now training on. What is Uh a reasonable amount of time for a patient to spend on these health history forms? And then what is a reasonable amount of time for us to spend reviewing the health history form? Well, I think we kind of have to break it down into a initial comprehensive health history compared to an update. Okay. And so if we're thinking about, and, and I don't think that the two forms are different, but I do think, you know, the, the initial one is that initial data entry 
So, you know, the patient is probably filling out a blank form because they are either a new patient to your practice or your, your office has just switched from paper to an electronic form so that now you're, you have that initial data entry. And so when I'm helping an office transition from paper health histories to electronic health histories, I do always let them know there will be some significant data entry when you go to an electronic form in the beginning. And so you may be, it may take, um, you know, three to five minutes um, inputting that patient information. But then when we are doing an update, so you've already transitioned to the electronic form, when you're doing an update, it is usually, it usually takes less than 30 seconds to do an update. We're improving the information we're getting. It's more comprehensive. Patients love it because it's not a blank form anymore. And it takes our hygienists less time than a paper form. So um, the patients love it. The team loves it. And, you know, it's just a matter of working through that new workflow. Yeah. Three minutes is really hard to argue with. I mean, <laughs> it's not, yeah. you know, that's, that's less time than it takes to go find your cup of coffee that you left somewhere <laughs> in the office. Right. So <laughs> yeah. that's, uh, that's hard to argue with. So I, I, I think that that's something to take back to the team and really, and have them really go over exactly what their time commitment is, even though, in the end, that that kind of information, I think, makes it really clear that it's really not a big, I don't think it's a big outlay, like you say. I mean, it's definitely for the health yeah. of the practice. So when you're training um, offices, what does that look like? I mean, how much time do you spend on the health history form? Because I'm thinking from a yeah. point of view of an office manager, like, you're going to come in and spend a whole day on health history, like, oh, my gosh, but that's not yeah. what you do. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, and the health history can be a full day project if we're creating the form from the from the very beginning, you know, if we're mm -hmm. creating a customized form and we are, you know, putting it up on the, the office website and we're downloading the information and we're practicing with an iPad and or we're we're practicing as if we were a patient. So, I mean, it could be a full day depending on where the office is in the implementation process, every hygienist is scared to implement an electronic form because they think it's going to slow them down. Oh. Every time I show them how it works, they are standing up, standing ovation. I love it, love it, love it. And that happens almost at every practice. They're scared to do electronic forms, but then as soon as they see it work, they love it. That's great. I know it's fantastic. And what I love about electronic forms is that you have the ability to keep it current. You can update the questions. Um, there's so many new things that we need to be asking about our patients. That was one thing I, I learned about in your course at BDC were all the new things that we should be asking. And so we have to keep our forms fresh and up to date. We can do that with electronic forms. You know, another thing I love about electronic forms is, especially with the Dentrix one uh, questionnaires, is that it, a lot of the fields are mergeable then back into the practice management software. So 
the forms talk to each other, you know, so there's information that gets pulled onto the form. And then there's information from the form that gets pushed back into the software. So, you know, it reduces the amount of manual data, data entry. So not only does the hygienist love it, but the front desk loves it because there's less, less scanning, there's less manual information adding, and it just, it's a win for everybody. Well, now you've been doing paperless conversions for a long, long time. And mm-hmm. I know one of the big uh, pushbacks that teams have is that it's not truly paperless. It ends up sometimes being more paper than you think. But that's that was back in the day. I mean, are you finding that the new way of training, the new forms, the online forms, is that changing things? Or is there still an expectation that you are dealing still with paper? We're not. With the electronic forms online, there's no more paper with, with new patient paperwork. Like there's no more paperwork anymore. They are true electronic forms. So we're not seeing any paper as far as scanning new patient forms and the health history. So that's been completely eliminated. Now, you still have to deal with paper. You know, you may still be printing a day sheet to double check your charges and payments for the day. You still may be getting paper from your referring doctors and you still may be printing out a referral slip for your patients. You know, so there there still is some paper. We're we're still working through some of those other paper issues, but for the health history and the new patient forms, those are completely paperless. No paper at all. So wild. So wild to think we've gotten to that part where, you know, it's just somebody will go online to your website and fill all that out ahead of time. And it's waiting for you by the time they come in. I mean, that's just crazy. Um, And I'm coming from an old, yeah, uh, definitely. But I'm coming from old school where like, you know, we would mail the packet to them and we wouldn't even, you know, we wouldn't schedule them that closely because we needed to make sure that the packet got to them. (laughs) I know. I know. And, you know, that that is all still happening. You know, it's so funny. You know, so many of my doctors, they're like, well, you know, my packet is branded and it has my logo on it. And I'm like, patients really care about your logo. They don't care about your logo. They don't care. And honestly, they don't like they don't even look at it. The only person who cares is the dentist because they're trying to use it up. Exactly. You know, and, you know, I think you have to think about patients these days. We are, we are always in a hurry and Mm -hmm. we want things now and um, we have to um, cater to what our patients want. And yes, I mean, for the patients that are, you know, 65 and older, we may have to still send them out a packet and we may have to manually input information into our computer, or we may have to actually interview them when they come in if they don't know how to use a computer. Um, but that's, for the most part, that's the minority of our patient base. You know, the majority of our patients grew up with computers mm-hmm. and they're using, they're on their mobile phones all day long, you know, yeah. texting. Facebook, you know, doing Snapchat for them to fill out a form online is just second nature. And it's just, it's, 
part of who we are nowadays and we have to cater to that. Well, I think even getting a form by paper is just so, so antiquated. I mean, you know, my, you know, Norman, my husband, he's such a geek. Sometimes he, like, if he gets a form to fill out, he will scan it and fill it out and send it electronically because he has no time for, you know, mailing something or carrying something in his backpack to work. Like he would lose it. So it's easier for him to send it. And I think that's, that's how a lot of young people are too. And he's not young, but you know what I mean? Um, but, but also, Let's talk about that because that's a really good conversation to have, especially because you're seeing you're in a lot of offices. What are you seeing as far as patient behavior that your offices are like, oh, gosh, we got to adapt to this. If we don't adapt, we're going to be falling behind. What are you seeing? Yeah, I mean, I think you're seeing um, the office is more hesitant of implementing the forms than the patients are. Mm. The, the office is making the excuses on the patient's behalf. And I think that's hilarious because <laughs> you're not giving your patients enough credit. Your, your patients are asking for electronic forms. Your patients are smarter than you think they are. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, yes, I do go into some offices where um, they might be in a, in an area where, they don't have a huge technology savvy community. You know, so we might have to educate our patients on on how to fill out an electronic form. But but for the most part, that's pretty rare. And I think it's, it's just funny that our offices are the ones making the excuses for the patients. And then what's funny is as soon as they implement the forms and they send it out to the patient and the patients start using it, it's amazing the com- the comments that I get. It's like our patients are loving the forms, you know, <laughs> it's so easy. And um, you know, then there's so many cool things you can do. You can, um, I love creating um, welcome emails to our new patients, and then you hyperlink the click here to fill out your health history, and it just makes it. It's just a natural workflow, and and that's what our patients are doing in other industries, you know, especially if they're, if they're booking travel online or they're booking restaurant reservations online. Um, they're so used to this workflow already right. that planting it into the dental practice is just a natural transition. I, I think we're at a point now where we're going to stand out if we are doing things the old way. And that's, that's not good. I mean, we're, <laughs> that's a bad way to stand out <laughs> seeing well, that, you know, you're... And, and we're not, we're not preparing people for what's coming. You know, we're holding people back if we are making excuses for them, you know, you're talking about team members, like how you're yes. training. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then I teach at the Shoreline Community College up in Seattle. I've been working with them for the last couple of months on implementing electronic workflow into the college, into their curriculum. It was really interesting conversation because one of the faculty members, she did not want to give up paper at all. And she <laughs> said, well, I think we need to keep both systems going. We need to keep the paper going um, but we, but I'm still on board with implementing the electronic. And I said, so what you're asking your students to do is to do both. Is that mm. right? And she's like, yeah, I think that's best. And I said, 
you are doing your students a disservice by making them do paper because when they get into a real practice situation and they're working for a practice, they won't have paper, you know? And um, so it was really interesting conversation that, you know, they, this, the school felt like they still needed to be teaching paper, but what I see out in the real world, we don't have paper. We are doing our students uh, a disservice by teaching them paper um, and not preparing them for the real world and, and what's out there, what they're going to see in the, in the practices. Yeah. And I, I mean, I imagine it's tough for a lot of the, the colleges and the, the dental assisting schools and things like that. I, I imagine it's tough because once you get a curriculum down and you nail it down, then all of a sudden yeah. it's changing. And it's not like, um, you know, it's not like there's, I mean, these community colleges and even the regular dental assisting schools, it's not like they have em- limitless budgets where they can continually revamp curriculum. So, um, and that's, and that's true. yeah, so yeah. technology, I guess, hits them pretty hard, but good, good for you for saying, you know, pointing out that it's a patient, it's a, it's an employee advantage to come into an office and know that stuff. I mean, you and I were both managers. I can't imagine hiring somebody without familiarity of any of the online processes. I, I would not do that in this day and age. I agree with you. You know, we have to, as the practice, you know, it's up to you to stay up to date with technology and up to date with the industry trends. But mm-hmm. it's also important for our schools to keep up with the latest technology and industry industry trends. And it is a big investment in technology and training to make sure that your practice is up to speed with the latest, you know, workflow. Yeah. Well, and there's the, the other aspect now, and I know, I know our generation of office managers is having a hard time with this, where we really don't talk to the patient until they're right in front of us nowadays. Like there's so much appointment making going on where we're not talking to the patient and that's really hard for us who were excellent on the phone, you know, and now we're like, you know, we can't impress them. We can't, you know, talk to them, (laughs) but, but now we have to be, you know, charming through text and it's just a whole different way of doing things. (laughs) Um, What are you seeing out there as far as people making the transition to text? Cause we're, we're going there where if you don't offer text, you are going to be looking like a dinosaur. I agree. I agree. But I think we still have opportunities to talk to our patients. And, you know, for the most part, patients are still calling to schedule an appointment. I mean, online booking has is a little slow mm-hmm. to implement. There's not a lot of options out there for online booking. So um, I think patients are still calling to schedule an appointment. So we definitely have an opportunity to introduce the office, you know, navigate the patient to the website where the forms might be living or let ask the patient, would you, would you prefer to communicate via text or email in that conversation? So you're giving the patient the option. Mm -hmm. Um, And if it says, yeah, email is best for me, then that's where you can then um, embed the link to the forms in the email. And you can brand it. So, you know, I was working with an office in Michigan. We branded their welcome email. So it had the, it had the logo like the doctor wanted. It had, you know, you were introducing 
the practice, you know, we're, we're very excited to have you as a new patient. Please click here. And then we hyperlinked the click here to then send the patient to the online forms. That's great. And I know it was beautiful. And you could either do that and then you could send that, you know, if it is an elderly patient who doesn't have access to a computer, then you could send that welcome email to a family member or a caregiver or, you know, somebody who might have the information to fill it out for the patient. So, you know, that's where I really help the offices. Okay, plan A, here's plan A is, is the patient fills out the forms. Plan B is you send the form link to a family member or a caregiver or a, um, maybe somebody at the in-home living facility that could fill out the forms for the mm-hmm. patient on the patient's behalf. And then plan C is the patient comes in and you interview them, you know, and that's where you get to have a great conversation with your patient about their health. Um, So offering, you know, three different options, then most of the time the interview process only happens maybe once or twice. You know, it doesn't happen very often. Well, and I, you had said something when we were chatting earlier about protecting the doctor's license. And can you talk a little bit about that? Because I like anytime somebody says my doctor's license could be in trouble, like I in classes, I perked up because that that's my role is to protect the office, the doctor, blah, blah, blah. And when you said that, I was like, ooh, I got to find out what's going on there. So talk to us about about that. Yeah. So a couple things come to mind. You know, when you think about protecting your doctor's license, kind of the first thing that I think about is litigation. You know, in my own practice, we had a patient that we placed an implant for the implant failed. She had necrosis necrosis of the lower jaw. Mm. And for the litigation process, I mean, this was many years ago. I had, it, it took me hours to piece together the patient's health history. You know, at, at what point in time was she taking these medications? And, you know, when was she, when did she um, report these medications and this medical condition? Because our health histories just had no changes, no changes, no changes. Mm, and geez. I'm like, no changes to what, you know? <laughs> I have to switch back to the last one and the last one said no changes. And then I'd have to go back to the last one. And I mean, I just, that is my biggest pet peeve is the word no changes because you just have to keep searching back, trying to find the most current information. I also love it when offices put, you know, a new date next to this medication. Oh, this patient started taking this medication on this date. And then, and it's just a mess. It's just trying to piece together this puzzle that doesn't make any sense. So, so the first thing I think about is how could you legally, you know, give your patients um, documentation or the patient's health history, chronological health history to a an attorney that's subpoenaing your, your patient record information is number one. If you wouldn't be able to do that, if your documentation just kept keeps saying no changes, no changes, no changes, then you don't really have a good chronological history. So that's kind of the first thing I think about. The next thing I think about when I think about protecting the practice and protecting the doctor's license is what if you had an emergency in your practice? What if your patient hit the floor and they're unconscious? And you're on the phone with 911 
how long would it take you to give that 911 operator all the information that they needed? Right. And that's that's a great point. Yeah. Would it take you 10 seconds or would it take you 10 minutes? That can be the difference of a patient, I don't know, dying at your office if you can't provide their medication list, their allergies, their conditions, and then get on the phone with the emergency contact, you know, so... So those are two situations where I really feel like a comprehensive health history at any point in time is just critical to protecting your patients and protecting the practice, you know, whether it's from litigation or whether it's from an insurance audit or whether it's from a patient, you know, hitting the floor um, with a medical emergency, the faster you can pull up the information, the better it is for everybody. Right. And and also, you know, if somebody has a complex medical history, you, you kind of in the morning huddle, typically you'll go over that, especially if it's older and they have like a bunch of bunch of stuff going on. But you, yeah. it's the ones that you don't expect that will take you completely by surprise. And what, what I'm going to do is in the show notes, I'll link to an episode of A Tale of Two Hygienists where Michelle, who's one of the co-hosts, interviewed one of her good friends who was actually an EMT. And in okay. this interview, was it was really cool because the EMT was like, here's what you can do as a dental office if you ever have to call you know, for us, here's what we expect. Here's what's great. Here's what, you know, at minimum you should do. And one of the things she talked about was exactly what you said. Do you have that information ready for them when they get to your office? Because the, the stuff they administer or not administer could be based completely on your medical history. I mean, so that that's really, I mean, that's scary. And If you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, yeah, I know we need some help and we'll get around to it eventually, I'm just going to urge you to move that up a little bit on your um, priorities list, you know, update the health history, go over the medical emergency protocols, because, you know, aside from the fact that we'll lose, you know, possibly lose a dear patient, the bad press around that is going to be (laughs) awful, right? Let's be real. That's hard to come back from. And that's the stuff we hear about in the, in the news. And you don't want your office getting passed around on Facebook shares. That's just not, that's a goal in life, right? Don't get shared on Facebook for the wrong reasons, right? Right. Exactly. I know. And one of the most common questions I get from offices is, well, our patients, a lot of times they walk in with this printed list of their medications. Can't we just scan it? And I'm like, well, Yes, you can scan it, but I also recommend that you then hand type that list into your electronic form so that it's available on the form that everybody is going to be looking at. Right. Um, And, you know, everybody just wants to take the easy road out, you know, and it's we're so pressed for time. It's just it's sad that we're at the situation where we are so pressed for time. But I, I hear you. That's. That's not an excuse. It's not. I would rather the hygienist have the patient back to complete the profi than slack on the documentation. And, and you know, any anybody who's listened to me speak and also you, because you, you speak on this, too, is that the documentation is what's going to get you paid, you know, whether it's medical history or just you know, existing conditions and all of that kind of stuff. The documentation right. can no longer be ignored in the office. Yep. So let me ask you, 
I don't know if this is available or not. I kind of rely on on you and other people to kind of keep me updated. But is there a program now where when you put in what the patient's on that that and it's integrated um, that kind of alerts you for things? I know that there's there's software add-ons that you can have, like that gives you you know possibly um, contraindications yeah. and all of that. But is there anything native to Dentrix or something that's coming? Maybe um, there isn't anything that's native. But what we just have to be more aware of is making sure that our critical conditions or our critical medications are documented that way in the software. So we have pop-ups. And what they what Dentrix did with the latest update to the health history module was we're now able to mark things as critical or non-critical so that we get more alerts about things. But there isn't anything that like links to a national database that says, you know, if your patient is taking this medication, it's going to contraindicate with this. Um, Mm. we We still don't have anything like that that alerts us to contraindications to other medications or, or things like that. When I was managing, there was a service that you could consult and it would tell you whether or not there was the contraindications. But the drawback was, number one, it was expensive. Number two, the doctor had to be the one or me to put in the two medications. It didn't pick it up from the health history. So maybe okay. that's something that the softwares could look into because I think, well, you said something earlier, though, that I, I completely agree with. We're moving towards medical integration, more or less. So that's that's definitely going to be in the pipeline. So you hail from the state of weed and mountains. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. I'm very, very proud of it. <laughs> yes, you do. So, And not only the state of weed and mountains, but you also are a Washington state native. So you're um, yes. weed and water. So you have you're really like you're in there with it. Right. So yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, state number one and then state number two that <laughs> that approved of recreational marijuana. So <laughs> and, and you you live in both. I don't know if that's a coincidence or we should look at something. <laughs> else going on? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Dana is not a pothead. She's not. Um, <laughs> but but the reason I bring that up is because um, there there is the aspects with the medical history. And now we're seeing this vaping thing. So do you anticipate yeah. having to retrain and make sure your clients include oh, yeah. the vaping stuff? Well, I want to make sure that my clients have a um, a habits section where I, I want to know about what's their smoking habit. Are they using cigarettes, a tobacco, cigars, um, smokeless tobacco, like chewing? I want to know if they're using recreational marijuana. Now vaping, we have to add vaping onto that list. So I think for offices that have not added that section, you know, we have a women only section. I think now we need to have we need to make sure we have a habits section so we know what what is their recreational because it affects our or the oral health and I, and I know that there are some new things that I learned from you um, just recently about um, tell me tell me a little bit more about um, other things that offices should be adding to the health history like there was something about breast implants. Yeah, this was pretty interesting because it's not a, I mean, it's it's one of those early studies. And so there's not, it hasn't been 
I guess what I'm saying is that it, there's not like mass studies coming out to support it, but there was enough that there was a meta paper written and it, it showed that if somebody had breast implants and then within, I think it was 30 days of the surgery, they came in for a dental appointment that there was the need for pre-medication oh. or, you know, prophylactic antibiotics because... Um, just like with any foreign body, the implant, the breast implant, the silicone is a foreign body. And so you will have, you know, if bacteria is going to, going to gather, it's going to be around the foreign bodies. And so that, so it's still very new, but it's one of those things where maybe we need to pay attention to that, you know, and, and I'm sure if that's the case that the ADA will make sure to put that out there. And I don't know if you can hear it, but there's a lot, we're going to, we're not going to edit this out, but my dogs are playing with each other. So there's like a lot of jingling going on. So I need to get them to go in the other room, like take your stuff in the other room. And they're, they're just <laughs> ignoring me. So let's just move on. So well, they, love, they love you. They yeah. love that you work home and that, you know, Mommy lets me listen to Yeah, that's right. I'm learning so much dentures. Um, <laughs> so 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 I it's worth it to say, you know, do you have any foreign bodies? And then in the parentheses, because you know, we don't think of implants as foreign bodies, really. So right. so put right. in parentheses, breast implants, you know, gosh, people get butt implants nowadays for crying out loud. Oh my god. Right? So <laughs> I mean, if Kim Kardashian comes into your office, are you going to ask her about her butt implants, right? So, so right. you have that. And then um, the other thing that I was uh, really interested in was the, um, of course, the, the CBD and, you know, the oh, high her, usage yeah. of it. But there were studies, and again, preliminary, because this is all new to scientists. Yeah. Um, it mm-hmm. looks like there's some sort of correlation to marijuana intake versus oxygen intake during anesthesia. And they studied it in um, the GI surgery. So there's, there's data showing that high usage is actually going to affect oxygen intake of the anesthesia, which, you know, if you, if you want someone to be under, you need them to be under. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're a practice that's take, that's doing IV sedation, this becomes extremely important. with your documentation. Absolutely. And, and there's, and I, I mentioned too, in that same class that we need to, um, kind of take the stigma off of these, these issues. Like you'll see in a lot of the older health history forums, do you use illegal drugs? Well, you know, who's going to say yes to that? So, you know, do you, do you take, you know, are, are you using any substances other than prescription medication? So you kind of take the edge off of it and it's got to be a no judgment zone. And I would imagine that the first time enough somebody comes in and they're maybe they're in a habitual, you know, home user of, I don't know, let's just say cocaine, for example, if they see that you handle it responsibly and don't have any judgment with it, the first time they may not tell you, but the second time they might feel comfortable enough to tell you. Um, and, and unfortunately for us, that's a, that's a liability, but we don't, you know, if we don't know it, then um, we really can't warn against it. So, I mean, and that, that's another thing too. Do you hear people saying to you, well, if we don't, you know, the less we know, the better. I mean, I, I know I heard that years ago. Well, I don't want to get so involved and, and we're not medical physicians. I would hear that. We're not medical doctors. And I, I hear that with a lot of things. Um, I hear, you know, offices don't want to take blood pressure because they don't want to be responsible or, 
you know, they don't do oral cancer screening because they don't want to be responsible. Oh, it blows my mind. It blows my mind. I know. It, you could be saving someone's life and you don't care. You know, it's, it's just, yeah, it blows my mind that, you know, I was using the TSA reference. You see something, say something. Mm-hmm. Um, if you see that the patient has um, something on their health history, you have to say something if it, if it could be affecting their overall health. And um, if you're taking blood pressure and it's high, you need to inform the patient. And, you know, it's just, we could be at liability if we don't say something. It's crazy too. I mean, you've seen the CBCTs and the, I mean, seeing calcifications in the carotid arteries and even, you know, tumors in the nose area and the eye area. It's just, it's amazing that we have those kind of diagnostic tools. So it's, I think when you do take on a big technology like CBCT, I mean, you don't, you have to take some training on it. And, and I would love it if doctors would, would take the teams with them too. No, they're not doctors and they can't, you know, read x-rays, but I, I appreciated that my doctor pointed out everything on x-rays. So I would know what I was looking at. That's awesome. Absolutely. That's awesome. So, so, so do you know of any doctors who have gotten into, um, into some pickles with not having complete health history forms? The only things that I've heard is when you're being subpoenaed for records. And mm. it's pretty rare. These, But we are in a, in a society of um, quick to sue, you know. Mm. And I think that, you know, if your records are subpoenaed, and you're taking, and you you have good documentation records, then you shouldn't worry. It's when you're you don't have good records that then that's when the stress level hits, you know. And right. just took a few more minutes right now to just update our workflow. It would number one give us better documentation, and number two be more efficient for the team. I think people are just scared of changing things and. You know, I just, I, I hate it when I hear um, team members, well, you know, that's how we've always done it. And if it's not broken, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but if we could make it better, aren't you open to looking at the possibility? Once you're given the opportunity to show them a better way, then they get it. Let me ask you one other thing about, because you're paperless queen, how are offices handling inner office communication. Is there a software that you really like? Are they using Dentrix, Dentrix tools? I mean, the, the kind of pop-up conversations, or do you think headsets are a good way to go? Like, how do you handle the whole issue of inner office communication? Yeah, I see it lots of different ways. Um, you know, I see instant messaging, things like, you know, Dentrix has the dental link. And then I see Yappy. I see Blue Note. I see, um, what are some other ones that you're saying? I see, a lot, I see a lot of Yappy and I see a lot of, I know, AOL Messenger a long time ago. And I, oh, no, I know that, um, was the, that was kind of the granddaddy. But what are the HIPAA, what are the HIPAA implications? Well, if you're in our office, like workstation to workstation, I don't see it being an issue. Mm-hmm. But if you're sending information out of the office, that's where you really HIPAA comes into play for okay. sure. Okay. Yeah. So, and I guess, yeah, I think we're, I think I was using the term wrong. Intra office, of course, is within the office. And then 
Um, within the office. Yeah, yeah. and then interoffices between, you know, the, the different offices uh, and office to practice. Yeah. And is there is there a tool that you prefer for that? I don't think I've ever asked you this question. Is there a tool you prefer for interoffice communication? I just think it's important that you're, if you're sending protected patient information that you do have encrypted email. That's just a no-brainer. You know, if you're using Gmail, you know, Google has the opportunity to have encrypted email. Um, but if you are using Office uh, website email, it's just important that you're using encrypted email if you're sending protected patient information. And of course, the softwares that with the reminder systems, they all, I mean, if gosh, if they don't have HIPAA protection, then what are they doing in the marketplace? Um, exactly. you know, uh, but I do hear a lot of good things about, um, about Yappy. I don't think I've heard any bad things about Yappy. Um, I just, but I'm not familiar with it. So, but it seems to be that's, that's one that comes up. Opera DDS comes up, um, uh-huh. a lot. Yeah. And I, I, I just love what he's doing with the patient relaxation, the virtual reality stuff too. That's oh, I know. So, yeah. cool. so cool that he's doing that. And I need to call him yeah. and get him on the podcast because he just really, <laughs> He, I mean, it's just so future thinking, um, I know, you know, I to, to, to put a patient, you know, to give the patient virtual reality. And I was just at a conference and, and they had the virtual reality glasses on. And I was just, I was just having a good old time. And she's like, okay, can, can we have them back now? I was like, no, I was kind of having a good time, but yeah, I, I had to give them back. So yeah, it was great. But <laughs> there is definitely so much technology and you know, I love live chat and, um, I mean, we could go on and on about technology, but, um, you know, bottom line is, is that your office has to stay up to date on, on the new trends. And, and not only does technology help the patient, but it helps your team be more efficient. And, you know, that's the most important thing that we have to remember is efficiency. Efficiency brings profitability to the practice. And, you know, so implementing an electronic form is a good thing for, for everybody. And I love that you, you should, do you have that like on a trademark or something like efficiency brings, but like, that's good. You need to write that down. Um, (laughs) So, so you just gave a webinar on all of this and I want to give a shout out to NEA because they, you, you, so all, so a lot of what we were talking about, I think you probably went into more detail, right? On, on that webinar. Okay. Great. So I'll, um, so I'll link is, it. Okay. And and I want to give a shout out too for them because they also, and, and I don't get anything for this day and I don't think you get anything for what I'm about to say, but they have a really good um, HIPAA compliant email service oh, for, nice. for, you know, going in between um, it, it's inter office, you know, it's for, for specialists and all to communicate, but then you can also use it for your own. So, and I believe that oh, that comes perfect. at a very, very cheap price if you're a customer and I think they even sell that on its own. So um, don't, don't spend a lot of time trying to figure out the pros and cons of HIPAA compliant, because honestly it's so just, just go with a trusted source. And it's, that stuff is like Greek. I mean, I read that stuff and I just, I zone out. I I can't do it. So we need people like Linda Harvey to, to help translate all that stuff for us. (laughs) Bring in the the experts. Absolutely. Yeah. No. So absolutely. Now, and so I just want to make sure that our audience knows um, you are available for Dentrix training on pretty much anything Dentrix, right? Like you, that's, oh, that's, yep. you live and breathe it. That's, that's you. I live and, yes. I live and breathe it, dream it, you know, 
and I, it, you know, I love everything. it. So, um, and you have um, a really great, I mean, I hear nothing but good things. You have this network for Dentrix super users, this, the real motiv- oh, uh, motivated self-starters. Um, it's yeah. Navoni. It's the name of your company. You want to just give our yeah. audience what, and I, what is that about? Tell, give us what Navoni is about. Yeah. Navoni, the membership group is all about teams that are looking for self-guided resources. All of our webinars, we have on-demand and live webinars. In fact, we're going to do one right after this podcast. So, you know, it gives you the opportunity to have resources at your fingertips. And what makes our resources different than Dentrix support resources is that we are more about the why. We're more about best practices. You know, the Dentrix resources on their page is how to use Dentrix. We're more about why would you do it this way? You know, what makes this way better than this way? You know, because everyone in our group, in our community, are Dentrix users or trainers or consultants. So we're always looking for best practices. And that's what we do every day. And and just so, because I, I don't want people to think they're going to walk into a whole bunch of consultants trying to sell. I, you, I'm no, sure you no. have rules about that. Yeah, there's no selling and there's no corporate in, involvement. So you don't need a customer ID to be a member. You just have to be someone that wants to learn more about Dentrix. And our the consultants that are in our group, are just there because they have clients who have Dentrix. And Mm. so they're in our group because they ask questions about, well, my client needs to learn how to run this report. What report do you recommend? It's not about their services at all. It's, It's about them wanting to be members so that they can give their clients better resources and better answers. You know, some of the answers that I see on the Dentrix user Facebook page make me want to cringe because I'm like, no, don't tell them that. That's so wrong. Um, So we're there to help troubleshoot and get you the right answers. Um, And that's, that's what we're all about. Yeah. Let's not get started with the Facebook groups and what's going (laughs) on. You know how upset I get. I just get so upset. And it's, um, I, I made the mistake of commenting yesterday on something. I tell myself all the time, don't comment, don't comment. And I was like, oh, well, she really needs help. Yeah. So I commented and that I remember thinking, I just, if I delete it, will anyone notice? Cause I just, you know, so while I've got you, while I've got you, no, no, no. <laughs> so yeah, you're the same way too. Cause you, everybody knows, you know, your dentrix inside out. So you, you're, you're the same way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and And I agree. There's people that have their opinions. And if you want to put your opinion on there, that's fine. But if you blatantly are saying something that's incorrect, I will correct you. Yeah. Um, Because I just feel it's my responsibility because I'm not going to let a wrong answer sit there on a page. And um, so, yeah. and if it's your page, you you have a responsibility as oh, as an owner yeah. to make sure that that doesn't come out there. And I think a lot of these Facebook moderators, it's not that they don't mean for that to happen. I don't think they mean to put false yeah. information. M- many of them, I know one group in particular, they started it and they're like, holy cow. And, you know, they don't have the time 
to monitor it. And that's why it's the Wild West. Mm-hmm. So crazy. Yeah. Crazy stuff. <laughs> exactly. It is the Wild West. It's like Dentaltown 20 years ago. Just crazy stuff. So oh my gosh, <laughs> do you remember the old days of Dentaltown? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah for sure. <laughs> but, oh. Well, I know you have to go. It's coming up on an hour. And I, I knew the time would fly. I told Dana before I said, look, we'll go 45 minutes or so. We'll take some off ramps. And I knew we would go to the end because that's just how we roll. So <laughs> Oh, it was that was really good. I I mean it's it was really good. We we stayed on track and you know we I think we just blew the whole health history topic um out of the water with lots of different different side streets, you know. So yeah. Well, and I hope it's helpful and and Dana is available for the in-office training. Navoni is available for consumption as well. And, Mm -hmm. you know, check, check out her, her page. And if she's ever in the area, you know, go, go say hi, listen to her talk. She knows her stuff. And um, again, we're going to have her back on because I like my frequent flyers and she's one of them. (laughs) And, uh, and so is there a, Give them a, an idea of how to find you. Where where do they find you? Yeah. So you could email me at Dana. It's D-A-Y-N-A at Navoni, N-O-V-O-N-E-E dot com. Or you can, my phone number, direct cell number is 425-238-3699. Great. And I'll make sure that gets in the show notes too. So that if people want to find you, that you do study club meetings, you do in-office training. She's just, you know, she's available to help out. And that's, I know that's what you like to do. Every time I talk to Kevin, you're on the road somewhere else. So like (laughs) you are just everywhere. Um, So I'm assuming you really love what you do. I do. I love what I do. And I think it shows for sure. I definitely agree. So, all right. Well, until the next episode, and I believe it's going to be uh, Kevin next time on the next episode too. Yeah. So until the next episode, um, I hope that you all are loving the podcast. Please tell your friends about it. Um, Send, send the link to somebody who you think may help. And I would appreciate any ratings, any comments, any feedback, good or bad. I'm here to do this podcast for you. So until the next time, thank you so much for tuning in. Subscribe to this podcast so you'll get our next candid discussion. Visit Teresa's website, odysseymgmt.com. That's odysseymgmt.com for more information on Teresa's courses, books, and speaking schedule. Subscribe to her newsletter while you're there. Don't say we didn't tell you that. 